Welcome to Workforce Rx with Patoro Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Von Tone Quinlevin, CEO of Futuro Health. You might think improving healthcare quality is largely in the hands of clinicians providing the care, but much of this difficult work is actually done behind the scenes by professionals who lead quality reviews, institute new protocols for safer care, and focus on risk management, among many other efforts. To understand more about the world of healthcare quality improvement and the workforce involved in it, we're joined today by Stephanie Mercado, CEO and Executive Director of the National Association for Healthcare Quality, nicknamed NAQ. Since assuming the role eight years ago, she's focused on standardizing competencies for the healthcare quality profession and increasing awareness of its value within the healthcare industry. Thanks so much for joining us today, Stephanie. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start, Stephanie, by having you tell us a little bit about your path into this role and NACU's mission within the landscape of healthcare and healthcare quality. Absolutely. I came to NACU as the CEO and executive director, having had previous experiences working with medical professional societies. So my background has been uh, pretty exclusively in working in healthcare for the past uh, 20 plus years and really working in mission-driven organizations that represented professions and professions always need to be advanced and developed. And so that's really um, the, the background that I bring to the table. I was very interested in working with NACU because it represented an opportunity for me to explore, as you said, um, the, the other half of the equation in healthcare. I had come from, like I mentioned, the medical professional society perspective, which is really what I would describe as the front of the house of healthcare, where the action is on the ground with the patients. And it was becoming increasingly clear to me uh, 10 years ago and prior that there was a lot of important momentum and work being done in the back of the house of healthcare, where the uh, policy decisions were getting made, the improvement agendas were being put together. Um, there was conversation about patient safety, improving outcomes, lowering costs. And so I was really interested in having the opportunity to explore that side of healthcare. So that is how I arrived at NACU and where we fit in the healthcare landscape at this point is really to advance healthcare quality competencies across the entire continuum of care for everyone involved in delivering healthcare and focusing on quality. Most certainly at the very center of our bullseye, our target is going to be people who work full-time in roles and healthcare quality. But we also know that healthcare quality is really a team sport. And so it's really, really important that anyone working in healthcare have a minimum skill set, knowledge, and vocabulary in healthcare quality so that they can contribute um, on a, a holistic level to advancing safety and quality goals in the organization. So we help people understand what the requisite competencies are, gain the skills, gain the knowledge, and really help them move their own careers forward and at the same time really advance uh, healthcare goals and objectives. I'm so glad you're introducing to this world of back of the house 
healthcare professions. I can imagine around the dinner table as families are talking about the world of careers and the world of occupations to their nieces and nephews, that these quality jobs are probably not rolling off the tongue and not in the conversation. So you are at the forefront of developing a healthcare quality competency framework. Tell us more about what those competencies are about and why you launched it a few years ago. So if I may, I'm going to start with the why before I talk about the what. So I would say for the past couple of decades, healthcare has been very squarely focused on um, quality and safety. And we see that through well-known reports. One of the things that um, I've been exploring with the board is to say, if everybody is on board in advancing quality and safety, and we've removed so many barriers to that over two decades, then why have we not gone further? And why aren't we doing better than we are today with quality outcomes and lowering the cost? And the thing that we believe is that one of the, the key reasons we have not gone far enough and fast enough in advancing our healthcare quality um, objectives is because as much as it's important to know what we want to do to improve it, we actually have to know how. And so that how question became very, very important to us to answer and to say, well, what would it take then to activate the workforce who is bought in and who is engaged in driving quality and safety? They agree on what, now let's tell them how. I will also say to your point about the conversation at the dinner table, if you think about any um, clinical discipline in healthcare, medicine, nursing, physical therapy, and others, it is known and understood and expected that there is a well-worn academic pathway to achieving those careers. And the same is not true for people in a lot of roles, not all of them, but in a lot of roles working in the back of the house of healthcare, including healthcare quality. And even those people who come from clinical disciplines who may be really, really good at their medical profession or nursing career, are not well equipped to be working in healthcare quality without the healthcare quality competencies. So for us, we said, okay, let's take the opportunity to document what is expected uh, from a competency perspective. And so we created a competency framework that has eight dimensions, 29 competencies, and 486 skills that are stratified against foundational, proficient, and advanced levels. Now, when people hear the eight dimensions, you know, they're on board, 29 competencies, they usually say, okay, 486 skills. I usually have people looking for the nearest exit. Like, absolutely not. I am not doing, <laughs> I'm gonna be able to master 486 skills. And what I would share with you and those individuals is, you don't have to. The workspace and the competencies in healthcare quality are incredibly vast. And so what NACU has been able to do through the eight dimensions, 29 competencies and 486 skills is be able to one, start to identify career pathways for individuals who can sort of um, pick and choose what they want to skill in. And it also represents a whole framework for what a high functioning quality organization looks like. So we know what a good quality shop is because we defined it. It is the eight dimensions, 29 competencies, 486 skills. And if organizations are doing all of those things, 
then they will be succeeding, we believe strongly, and are moving towards proving that with data as well to say that, that this is the path forward. So why we developed it was because there was no educational pathway and who could accept that, right? You wouldn't accept a surgeon operating on you if they had learned their job on the fly at a local level without the benefit of a standard, right? You have an expectation that they have learned the right way to do it. And we wanted to offer the same for healthcare quality competencies. I really appreciate your leadership in this area. And, and you talked about the fact that, you know, for many of these jobs, there's no clear academic path to break in. So l- let's dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, what kind of person would be good at entry-level jobs in this area of quality and, and safety? So that's interesting. Um, as we have developed the competency framework, we have also amassed the first and only database in the world that helps us understand who is doing what out there. And we are starting to understand the, uh, let's call it the quote unquote DNA of a high performing individual or a high performing organization. And what I can tell you is, is that the people who are successful in healthcare quality roles are more like-minded than they are like type. I would say that they really are very invested in improvement as a way of life. They believe wholeheartedly that things could be better and that they could be part of the solution. And so those people are people who uh, see the proverbial burning building and run into it and say, I can help, I can fix that. And so people with those kind of attitudes are are very good in healthcare quality. I would say that uh, clinical and not clinical backgrounds, our research shows that there's not a material difference in the um, expressed competency of clinical and non-clinical backgrounds. So any background is okay, so long as you are really committed to investing in competency development and getting those skills. So it's a very diverse group of individuals, like I said, more like-minded than like type, and they can be trained on this. So that's what NACU does. So from NACU's perspective, we uh, not only have defined the standard, but are um, teaching to that standard and certifying to that standard. And I'd be happy to talk to you more about that as well. I love that you've already developed the curriculum and the certification and uh, the standards, which would help employers more easily recognize these competencies. Let me ask you a a very practical question because our audience will be a lot of uh, workforce development practitioners. So if I'm trying to break into the healthcare industry or helping a client or, or a participant break into the healthcare industry via this quality control door, will employers recognize these competencies somehow as a way to identify that I'm you know, one step above the next competitor? Yes, and increasingly so. So the um, number one way that the competencies are recognized today is through the CPHQ. It's a certification, which stands for the Certified Professional in Healthcare Quality. We have about 14,000 CPHQs active today, and CPHQs are increasingly um, required or preferred for more and more roles in healthcare. Not only has the market recognize this. And I could tell you, Jeff DeLisi, who's the CEO at Roper St. Francis, I spoke with him this summer, and he said, if I had two candidates in front of me and one had a CPHQ and the other didn't, and all other things were reasonably equal, he would pick the CPHQ. 
And so he knows that because he's hired CPHQs and they do a good job for him. Not only that, but NACU actually just published research in our journal, JHQ, the Journal for Healthcare Quality, where we were able to confirm that individuals holding the CPHQs are performing at higher ends of the competency spectrum than their non-CPHQ peers. So people sort of believed it in the past that CPHQs were in a better position to perform, but we actually have proved it at this point. So that's important. And I think will be increasingly important as we move the conversation forward and really start to understand that the back of the house needs validated skills and quality and safety as much as those in the front of the house of healthcare. And, and I would also say one more thing, if I could, related to the CPHQ and also related to, you know, who is a good fit for it. It is a good fit for clinical and non-clinical roles if you're working in healthcare quality. We see a lot of organizations that are um, training organizations, nursing organizations more and more that are actually hardwiring the CPHQ credential into their master's training program. So for example, we're working with Western Governors University who has put this into the master of nursing curriculum and some of our other content as well. We're doing the same with George Washington University and uh, continue to do that with others and have actually been working with some health business administration programs as well. So we're earlier on in that journey, you know, working with those academic organizations, but that's us moving upstream, right? So we can help not only, you know, in healthcare delivery where it's at and skilling the current workforce, but also in preparing the next generation as well. And so Stephanie, would you be recommending to others that if they wanted to come into this field, let's say with a sub-baccalaureate, like a certificate of completion, could they actually earn some type of NACU credential that just allows them to break in? Or should they go, for example, get a clinical credential and then add this as a upskilling competency? Either way. And I would say too, NACU has other competency development programs um, in addition to the CPHQ. There are things that come before the CPHQ because the CPHQ is, as a matter of fact, the only accredited certification in healthcare quality. So it's pretty robust, uh, very attainable, but takes a, a fair amount of commitment and effort to be able to achieve the certification. If someone wanted to start at um, a level that was a little more entry level, say I have more like four to five hours to dedicate towards my training instead of, you know, 40 or 50 hours or more, then I would say start with our uh, HQ principles certificate program, because that's going to help people know if quality is right for them. Uh, that's a wonderful offering that we have. And as a matter of fact, we are uh, updating it and we'll be publishing a brand new version at the beginning of 2022 that is principles across the continuum of care. So it kind of becomes like a choose your own adventure learning activity where we sort of offer the base information that we think people should know around healthcare quality competencies. And then we apply it to hospital health system settings, to long-term care settings, to behavioral health settings, to managed care settings. And so we're able to really make it relevant so that people can get the most out of the learning activity. Um, so those would be a couple, I would say one more even before that would be healthcare quality concepts, which is something that we offer to um, healthcare organizations. So this is a one-hour training and is actually designed for the front lines. So, so often 
the back of the house, the quality people are kind of leading the priorities and healthcare improvement, but the front of the house and all the clinical disciplines are the ones who see the patients and touch the patients and have the best opportunity to interface with quality. So the concepts offering is a one hour course that uh, Lifespan in Rhode Island, for example, was an early adopter and they're training 10,000 individuals uh, on their front lines to understand the concepts of quality and safety because people think it's something that they have to go looking for, right? But it's always just right in front of them at work. So it teaches them to identify it. And they're actually seeing that event reporting, which um, is a way to capture safety issues and quality issues, they're actually seeing that their event reporting is increasing, which is a good thing because people after having gone through the training are able to identify potential or um, actualized safety events in healthcare. And so this is really working for them. So there's a big spectrum there. So concepts, then principles, then CPHQ. And we are also um, in the early phases of building out micro-credentials, which would be, you know, sort of the CPHQ plus. And that's where we get into depth on things like population health, health data analytics, performance and process improvement, quality management, quality leadership. Those are some of the topics that we're exploring, facilitation skills, things like that. But you'll get a bit of all of those things throughout all of our programming. Um, it just sort of graduates into sort of a crescendo, you know, as people become more and more invested in the discipline. Oh, I am so glad you are here on this podcast because you're sharing what could be a great differentiator for students as they come out and consider how to stand out in their career. Absolutely. And your conversation brings up a question that people would think about, which is AI. I'm sure you've been asked, what is the role of AI uh, in this world of quality care? You know, I think AI is going to be increasingly important in healthcare and increasingly utilized, but I don't believe that it is going to take the jobs of a lot of the people coming up looking for careers, because I think that there will be other jobs for them to do. We know that um, not only in the United States, but around the world, we are not seeing babies being born at the replacement rate for the current workforce needs. So there isn't going to be, in my opinion, a shortage of opportunities, a shortage of jobs. It's just going to be that people are going to have to skill in different areas so that their work can certainly complement what AI and other technologies are bringing to the table. And I think a lot of it's going to be in the sense-making of what AI is, is uh, presenting. And I think it's also going to be in acting on what AI is telling us about our patients and what their needs are. So I, I see a big role for the healthcare workforce in the future, uh, regardless of what technology is present. And did you see a, a shift in skill sets of the healthcare quality workforce uh, that came about from the pandemic? So I would not say that we saw a shift. What we saw was a higher sense of urgency placed on these skills. Historically in the past, and even back in the, the history books, right, the roots of the quality profession really are in regulatory and compliance. And over the years, over the past several decades, that has really grown to expand into topics I've discussed, health data analytics, population health, care transition across the continuum, quality leadership system integration, all sorts of things. And so what happened when the pandemic hit, so you think about that proverbial burning building, when there are challenges in healthcare, what do you need? You need a couple of things. Number one, 
you need people with the spirit to run into that building. And people in quality who want to improve did that. They stepped up, they stepped out and said, if you have a problem, I am willing to help figure out how to solve it. And so when they did that, what they did is they brought skills to the table around systems and process and structure. And they brought um, the ability to stand up things like, you know, crisis command centers, telehealth programs launched, not in seven months or in two years, but in seven days, because they could use a quality tool, which is rapid cycle improvement to say, all right, we're going to stand it up. We're going to do the best job we can today, but we have a method to evaluate what's working and not working about this, and we will continue to improve it. So healthcare leaders really relied on people working in quality to come forward with their toolkit and with that spirit to uh, solve for these challenges. And as a matter of fact, we actually did some pulse check research with our constituents. And we saw that at uh, various touch points during the pandemic, they saw their value, they felt more valuable in their organizations. And that by the summer of 2021, many, many more of them were feeling more valued at work because they had the skills. And when they were called on, they knew what to do to uh, help solve problems. So it was great. So no, the skills have not changed, but the opportunity to express them is more. And I believe strongly that that will continue to be the case in the weeks, months, and years ahead, because we're going to have more challenges in healthcare, not less. And we need more problem solvers, not less. And Stephanie, could you decipher for me, if within an organization, is there usually a group that is the quality control or quality indicator group? Or how is it structured within, you know, an, an employer organization? And, and maybe this, this ties into how your members and their organizations are feeling about workforce development in this space at this time? So I would say that there is not one model for quality in an organization. And that is goes back to the same concept of, you know, the competencies being built on the fly at a local level without the benefit of the standard until make you develop that standard. Think of the same um, in terms of how the structures evolved, right? So healthcare leaders had always uh, increasingly learned over the past decades that they needed more people to do this type of work, but they were each kind of left on their own in terms of figuring out what the structure should look like. I will say, generally speaking, there will be a quality department in an organization. And that quality department will usually, but not always, be the organization that focuses on regulatory and accreditation, reimbursement, health data analytics. They will focus on giving physicians, nurses, and other providers feedback on their performance, talking with them about how their patients are, are doing from a health outcomes perspective, talking to them about improvements. The people in the quality departments will lead things around cost reductions in the organization, uh, efficiencies in the organization, um, how to improve safety, reduce falls, reduced catheter-associated urinary tract infections, all sorts of things. So there's almost always a quality department, but the work that it does is a little different. So sometimes we see improvement in a different department than quality. Sometimes we see population health in a different department of quality. 
But we believe that it all needs to be under one umbrella, very well coordinated and sort of have this capital Q quality space and a lot less on the quality control, which we believe is a retrospective view and more prospective, like actually out there shaping uh, health outcomes and financial performance of an organization by aligning all of that work. And so Stephanie, I'm curious, if you were the head of the quality department and doing prospective work, let's talk a little bit about the future of care and this scenario where more of care moves to the home. So hospital in the home, such that, for example, the hospitals only take the most serious cases, right? What would be the role of the quality department? Or what are prospective things, proactive things that you could do as the head of the quality department? I'm, I'm curious. So thank you for asking. And um, we could have a whole nother interview on this section. And I would love to bring in Patty Resnick if that was an opportunity from Christiana Care. Because as a matter of fact, she is a member of NACU's board of directors. And she has a long background in quality and was actually called on to launch Christiana Care's Hospital at Home initiative with a bunch of other healthcare executives as well. So she has a a main leadership position there. And so she could go into detail on that. What I would share with you is that it doesn't matter where healthcare is delivered, it still needs to be delivered in um, a way that is highly focused on quality and outcomes. And so I think that the role of the healthcare quality professional becomes more important when you're coordinating a more complex system and um, needing to work with a, a more diverse set of stakeholders. It will include things like better medical records and making sure that the medical records are, are focused across the continuum of care. It will include things like making sure that there's a way for the stakeholders to communicate. It will include more things like remote monitoring. It will include more things like setting up standards. So for example, in the health at home, uh, where people are, you know, don't need you know, critical care in a hospital can be managed at home, all of their data will be constantly sent towards a hub where that information is, is read and understood and prioritized in a minute by minute, hour by hour basis. And then uh, healthcare gets deployed into the home when the patient needs it. So if that is true, there's a lot of logistics also that need to be coordinated as well. So I think um, with where healthcare is going, quality will be more important than ever because it doesn't matter where it's delivered or who's delivering it. It matters how it's coordinated and really viewed over the long term. And how does data privacy play into your world? So one of our competencies is the health data analytics and also the regulatory and compliance space. And so data privacy is one of the topics that is covered. We want to make sure that people are very familiar with concepts around HIPAA, you know, and other requirements for uh, data security, privacy, security. I do think that this is something that we need to continue to watch and monitor because we're taking a lot more data in every single day and connecting a lot more data dots. And we're also using data, and like you said, AI, just a minute ago, to help inform our behaviors in the future. So we need to make sure we have really good information uh, so that we can treat the patients well. So that's a, it's a pretty big topic, but um, it is within the wheelhouse of those working in quality. Well, it sounds like these occupations will only grow in importance and in value in the delivery of care in the future. Absolutely. I believe that strongly. I think that 
um, you know, like I said, healthcare needs more problem solvers. And that's what people who work in quality do. They understand systems, they understand process, they understand structure. They have a vocabulary for quality. They have the toolkit for quality and they have the energy and enthusiasm and that spirit of improvement, which right now is really important. You know, the healthcare environment is fatigued and kind of beat down based on, you know, two years and, and more to come with the pandemic. Also, you know, knowing that we are going to continue to see an aging population, knowing that there's a lot of delayed healthcare maintenance, you know, for people who did not get some, you know, screenings and, and proper primary and preventative care during the pandemic. So as I'm looking at this, I'm seeing that things are going to get more challenging, even if when we can get COVID a little more under control. And the challenges that we had in healthcare before the pandemic didn't go away. And as a matter of fact, uh, things have probably gotten tougher. And so we're going to need more people who have that energy, enthusiasm, optimism, and the skills to really improve healthcare. As I listen to you explain what is going on, it's, it's clear to me that this whole space of quality and patient safety plays a very important role in the strategic priorities of the provider organization. And I was wondering if you wanted to elaborate any more on that. Absolutely. So I could give you an example of, again, I'm going to point to Dr. Jeff DeLisi at River St. Francis uh, in South Carolina. And he is the CEO there and has put three main priorities for his organization moving forward. And, you know, certainly quality and safety are at the top of the list, as is workforce development and engagement. And I love that um, about him and the way that he's thinking about where we go from here, because I agree with it. And I think that the only path forward is a focus on quality and safety. We are going to be experiencing a lot of challenges financially with healthcare. We already were. They're going to get worse. And we're not going to save our way to prosperity, right? We've got to solve for these challenges. Not only that, but we need to do a better job taking care of patients. The patient safety data is not where it needs to be. And as a matter of fact, we have seen serious setbacks with the pandemic. So hospital-associated infections, for example, are in a worse place than they were five years ago. And, you know, that's a real challenge that we need to overcome. I also think that looking forward in terms of a quality agenda and where to focus, as much as it's upsetting that those data points are where they are, what it tells me from an optimist point of view is that when we were focused on quality and safety before the pandemic kind of sidelined a lot of our run the business quality activities, things were improving. So we got to get back to that. We need to get back there and we need to do more of it so that we can continue to improve. So yes, I think healthcare executives are, are facing the cost pressures, they're facing the patient safety pressures, and they know they need to do better. And, you know, a lot of them, uh, some people are, would say, you know, oh, don't support my workforce now. They, they don't need one more training. I can't ask them to do one more thing. They're burnout, they're maxed out. But I think inspired leaders like Jeff DeLisi really understand that the path forward is quality and safety and it is advancing and engaging your workforce. And that's how you're going to build culture too. So uh, the time I think to support workforce is right now because they need it uh, very badly. It sounds like in the perfect world, every single occupation within the healthcare provider would have acquired 
some or more of the competencies that you've laid out today with us? Absolutely. You know, healthcare is a team sport, as they say. And it's really important that the whole team has some level of knowledge and skills and shared vocabulary because it's going to reduce friction when we are trying to make these improvements. If we have only part of the team understanding what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it, we're going to go slower. So the more people who are engaged in this work at various levels, they don't all need the highest order of training and skills, but at some level, absolutely, yes. And I would take it one step further and to say, if you think about what the patients are expecting when they go into healthcare organizations, what I expect as a patient as I go into healthcare organizations, I think it is assumed that the workforce is trained on quality and safety. And that is not always true. Ooh, you make me think. And you're absolutely right. If this is a team sport, a common vocabulary would certainly bring confidence to the patient, right? So let us um, begin wrapping up. And I would like to ask you, what makes you optimistic about the future of care? Great question. What makes me optimistic about healthcare moving forward is that it is a problem that has to be solved. Walking away from it at this point is not an option our patients and the citizens of the United States of America and around the world are absolutely counting on us to get this right. And failure has too many negative implications, not only for patients and patient safety, but financially bankrupting our government and a lot of our systems because we have to get this right. We are starting from a place that is um, positive, but could be a lot better. And so I like that we're standing on a solid foundation in healthcare, and I believe that we can make it better if we're working um, on the same priorities, advancing the same objectives, and leveraging the single biggest resource that we have in healthcare, which is our workforce. So I believe in the people doing this work, and I believe that if our healthcare leaders can prioritize them and uh, their development efforts, that we can, should, and will do better. Thank you, Stephanie, for the call to action and for your leadership of NICU in this whole area. Um, are there any closing comments that you'd like to leave us with? I would just like to say thank you. It has been my pleasure to spend time with you. I think the work that you are doing is incredibly important. Whenever I can speak with people who care as much about workforce development as I do, it's a good day. So thank you so much, Vaughn, for your time and um, all the work you're doing with your organization. Likewise, Stephanie. Uh, I learned so much, and I'm sure our audience will share my sentiments as well. I'm Bontone Quinlevin with Paturo Health. Thank you again, Stephanie, for joining us. And thank you to all of you listeners who were checking out this episode of Workforce Rx. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Mm-hmm.